For those bulletin watchers out there, those who are looking at the order of worship, I should have mentioned earlier, uh, Gay Newbegin uh, had a, I was going to say a wicked, do you use wicked here? I don't know. A wicked toothache. Um, and so she was not able to be here this morning and for special music and lead the choir, just so you know, and we could be praying for her as well. Let's look to the Lord before we look at this passage of scripture this morning. Lord, like Samuel, may we say, speak, Lord, for thy servant is listening. Give us listening hearts. Help us, Lord, to consider the application to our own lives, not worry about if someone else is getting it, but that we're getting it and taking it in. Teach us. May the Spirit of God lead, getting an end of this message this morning, that you would be glorified and we would be taught well and fed by you, our chief shepherd. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know that many of you are hunters and love this time of year. I happen not to be a hunter. Don't boo me, please. But I do enjoy listening to the passion and the excitement in many of your voices as you speak of hunting. This season reminded me also of this one Far Side cartoon. Likely you've seen it. I do enjoy Far Side, which tells you a little bit of my weird sense of humor. But one of my all-time favorite Far Side cartoons has these two deer standing upright. And this one deer has this huge bullseye on his chest. And the caption reads, as one's talking to the other, bummer of a birthmark, huh? (laughs) I like that. Now I want to take you to a scene in the life of Jesus and his disciples in which Peter might have felt that he had this big bullseye on his chest. And even worse, Satan was holding the rifle and he had the crosshairs on Peter. In our present sermon series, we're looking at Jesus in relationships. This morning, we have a snapshot of Jesus' dealings with a low time in Peter's life. There is some unfinished business that Jesus had to do with a man who might have thought he was finished. Our passage in John, I believe, is one of the most helpful passages in all of Scripture because it not only helps us to assess where we really are at, but also instructs us on how to set our life straight once more, particularly after we have fallen, after we may feel that our life has gone to pieces. Many years ago, An angry man rushed through the barriers of St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome and with a hammer began to smash away at Michelangelo's beautiful sculpture, Pieta. With the pieces of Pieta on the floor and the world of art stunned, all wondered, can this brilliant work of art be restored? 
Well, did the officials throw out the damaged sculpture and forget about it? Absolutely not. Using art experts who, who worked with the utmost care and precision, they made every effort to restore the masterpiece. And when they were finished, the damage could hardly be detected by the average viewer. Have you felt the crushing blow of a sinful choice? What can be done with the pieces of a broken world? Can it be restored? Well, I want you to look with me at Luke 22 before we dive into this passage in John. Luke chapter 22. I'd invite you to turn there with me to Luke chapter 22. Have you fallen? Well, Luke 22 has a word of hope for you. Are you feeling kind of smug, perhaps too confident in an area of your life that you kind of feel is, is, is impenetrable? Well, listen carefully to these words in Luke chapter 22. Look at verse 31. Jesus says to Peter, verse 31 of Luke 22, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Now, the idea of sifting like wheat is to be tossed up and down and to shake violently. The you there in that verse is plural, suggesting that Satan wants to shake all the disciples. It's worth noting here that Satan has to ask God for permission. We mustn't underestimate the power of Satan, but, but remember, brothers and sisters in Christ, Satan cannot go any further than God would permit. Now, that may raise all kinds of questions for you, and it isn't my intent this morning to address those questions. Suffice it to say, affliction must first pass through the hands of God, and he will use it to refine us and to grow us and to demonstrate to us his marvelous grace and his matchless power. Well, Jesus goes on in verse 32. He says, but I have prayed for you, Simon. Now, the you here is singular. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, implying that he does fall, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, while Satan is intent on intimidating us and crushing us and looking for our failure to be fatal, Jesus has other plans. And Peter's style, he quickly jumps in, verse 33. He says, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison. Lord, I am ready to go with you to death. Slow down, Peter. Watch it. Be careful. Now, I don't question Peter's desire. I don't question the genuineness of his words. I don't question his zeal. Peter's strength was sheer bravery. Hey, you mess with Peter, you may become earless, right? Peter's strength was courage. After all, remember, he was the only one who actually got out of the boat and did experience walking on the water, even if it was temporary. Peter never planned on denying the Lord. That thought never crossed his mind. You know the story. Peter gets leveled. His life collapses. He does deny the Lord three times before the rooster crowed, and he then caught a look from Jesus, and it breaks him to pieces. 
Now, what we see here is a lesson for all of us. Hope we grab it. It is a lesson, I believe, we find well-supported in the heroes of the faith throughout Scripture. One saint asked this thought-provoking question. He asked, if Satan were to blow you out of the water, how do you think he would do it? If Satan were to blow you out of the water, how do you think he might do it? Now, in pondering that, our mind would go to certain areas we would call weaknesses, figuring that's the penetrable space. Our mind would then go to areas where we feel quite strong and impenetrable. He won't take me out there. You know what? I agree with Oswald Chambers who said, Bible characters never fell on their weak points but on their strong ones. Unguarded strength is double weakness. Did you catch that? Unguarded strength is double weakness. Weakness. What does Paul remind us of in 1 Corinthians 10, 12? So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. That's a sobering verse. The place where Peter felt most confident was the very place where he would fall. But failure does not have to be fatal. You may not be able to reverse the consequences right now in your life, but you can still be useful for the Lord again. And that brings us to the passage that was read earlier, John chapter 21. Let's dive into John chapter 21. Look at that with me. And I'm really going back to the beginning of the chapter in verse 1. The scene in John 21 takes us to the shores of Galilee. John 21 occurs after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus had, had already appeared to the disciples two other times. In this account we find Peter and six other disciples returning to that which they knew best, fishing. After all, the kingdom had not come as they imagined. Their master wasn't around nearly as much. So Peter can't sit still, and he suggests to the others that they go fishing. And they all agree. And this fishing trip was a real bummer. Nothing but frustrating as the fish weren't biting. And as they were out in the boat discouraged, Jesus called to them from shore. And as soon as Peter realized it was the Lord, the old Peter was back. He does a cannonball in the water. Now, it doesn't say that, but I can't imagine Peter diving. <laughs> He's jumping in. He's causing a lot of splash. And he swam to shore to meet with Jesus. Now, one can only wonder what was going through Peter's mind as he swam. Oh, would Jesus remind me of the night I let him down? Would Jesus say, I told you so, Peter, I warned you, but you didn't listen? Would Jesus say, Peter, let's talk about what happened the other night? Would he say, Peter, you just don't have what it takes to be a fisher of men? Now, to Peter's credit, he's at least swimming in Jesus' direction. Here's a lesson. For all of us, a lesson if we've blown it. Swim toward your Savior, not away from Him. Swim toward your Savior, not away from Him. Is there an incident in your past that causes you to cringe with shame and guilt and regret each time your mind relives it? Do you feel like a total failure because in a moment of sexual passion, you went further than you had planned? 
Are you loaded down with guilt because the promise you made last Sunday was broken by Wednesday? Have you seen some area of your life come crashing down? Listen, swim toward the Savior, not away from him. No matter how big or small your failure, it doesn't have to be fatal. Remember Scrooge and Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol? In his old age, he was transformed after being visited by the three Christmas ghosts. And I think there's another uh, Christmas Carol, Scrooge or something, coming to the big screen. Yeah, we need another one. <laughs> but in the Broadway version, anyway. In the Broadway version, Scrooge focuses on the changes in his life as he redirected his priorities and values. He changed from miserly to generous. He changed from miserable to radiantly happy. He changed from selfish to caring. He showed that to be a winner is not dependent on your having done it right in the past. It depends on your doing it right in the present. And one of the songs of the musical says this. It says, I'll begin today and throw away the past. And the future I build will be something that will last. I will take the time that I have left to live and I'll give it all that I have left to give. And I'll live in praise of that moment when I was able to begin again. It's never too late to begin again. The late Paul Harvey was asked once, what is the secret of your success? And he replied, I get up when I fall down. And we find here a beautiful picture of restoration. Jesus' business ought to be our business. Peter swims to shore, leaving the work of pulling in the net filled with 153 fish to his fishing buddies. But when Peter and the others finally make it to shore, what do they find? Look at verse 9. I find this absolutely amazing. Jesus is cooking breakfast. (laughs) That's what it says. When they landed, verse 9, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And in verse 12, Jesus says, come and have breakfast. I love this. Jesus is making breakfast for a bunch of men who failed him. Is this how we treat people who have let us down? Come on. I mean, for those who have heard us, we might be cooking something up, but it isn't breakfast. (laughs) We see Jesus help the fallen and get up and finish the race. Peter wasn't being dumped. He wasn't being thrown away. He was being restored to a place of usefulness. And just as the rooster crows signaling a new day, Peter was given a fresh start. Oh, let's be like Jesus in our relationships with one another. There are way too many Christians who have been kicked to the curb. We're to be in the business of restoring them to a place of usefulness. I remind you of Galatians 6, verse 1. It says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, which means we're walking according to the Spirit, which is what we're all called to do. What are the spiritual supposed to do? What are they to do? Restore the fallen one gently. 
Are there fallen people around? How might you have a part in restoring them? Now, I realize that there are some people who don't really want to be restored. I get that. I'm not talking about the ones who are choosing to remain on the sidelines and want to dare you to try and come and help them. I'm talking about the ones who are swimming toward the Savior but need that word that will sustain them. They need that encouragement, that help up to finish the race. And being like Jesus, we need to be about helping others back to a place of usefulness, helping others get back into the game, lifting up those who have fallen on the track. It may mean a confrontation like Nathan did with David. It may mean to seek them out like Hosea did with his wayward wife. It may mean offering them a vote of confidence like Barnabas did with with John Mark. Whatever it is, we need to be about restorative grace. And I have so far to go in this area. But may Westerlo First Baptist Church be known for granting the gift of restorative grace in abundant measure. Wouldn't it be great to be known in the community as a group of people who cook breakfast for failures? (laughs) We need to be a church where restoration takes place. You know, many many talk about about, uh, how we can bring revival and renewal to the church in America, and and many strategies are offered. Some are good and some aren't so good, to, to put it mildly and kindly. But I wonder... Might renewal and revival come not only with strong pulpit ministry and come not only with people who are devoted to prayer, but also as we rediscover the ministry of restorative grace. We just might find people crowding forward to receive what Christ wants to give them. And I believe if we offer restorative grace, we will never lack in people. There are many inside the church. There are many outside the church looking for a chance to begin again. People looking for someone to believe in them and give them hope of a a new lease in life. Now let's not overcomplicate this. At the risk of stretching this further than it ought to go, Jesus' ministry of restoration began with breakfast. (laughs) Can you do breakfast? Can you cook a meal for someone? How much ministry is done over a meal? Beautiful. Whatever it might be, we need to ask, what is it I can do for service, an act of service to someone else? Let's be about helping the fallen get up and finish the race. In the 1992 Olympics, in the 400-meter semifinal race, the British runner, Derek Redman, tore a hamstring and he fell to the track. He struggled to his feet and, and he began to hobble, determined to finish the race. His father then was, was in the stands and he ran from the stands before anybody could get to him. And he ran to his son and then and Derek then leaned on his father and the two limped to the finish line together to a deadening applause. Watch what Jesus does next in helping Peter get up and finish the race. Jesus calls Peter on the nature of love. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. Jesus looks Peter in the eye and he asks, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Now we can only speculate as to what Jesus meant by more than these. 
It could be all the fishing paraphernalia that's around and, and all the, that the fishing career meant to Peter. Do you love me more than all these? It could be asking Peter if he, he loved him more than he, he loved these men. It could be that he's asking if Peter's love for him was more than these other men loved him. We can only guess. But no matter where we might land on this, one thing is for sure, Jesus is pressing Peter to love him supremely. Jesus wants first place. So what are the these in your life, what are the these in my life that are in conflict with our love for him? Do you love me more than these? Your job, your family, your kids, your church, your ministry, fill in the blank. It's a hard question. So Jesus asked Peter, verse 15, do you agape me? Do you have a full-blown love for me? And Peter replies, you know that I have affection for you. Jesus asks again, do you truly love me with a full love, a divine love? Peter replies again, yes, Lord, you know that I have affection. You know that I have fondness for you. You know that I care for you. Jesus asks a third time, do you really care for me, Peter? And with Jesus' questioning, Peter's love, even at this level, Peter's hurt. Jesus is pressing Peter not to crush him, but to reinstate him. And as we track Peter's life, we find that he often measured his life or his love by what he would do for Jesus. I will cut off that man's ear. I will lay down my life for you, Lord. I have given up everything for you. I have. I, I, I. It's significant that, that before Jesus would ascend into heaven, leaving his work in their hands, in the hands of these disciples, that they understood the priority of love. You see, even before loving our ministry, even before loving our service to him, we must love him. And I need to watch for that as much as you need to. Perhaps more. Is it possible to be serving in the church with everything from folding bulletins to watching the little ones in nursery or to teach a class and not love the Lord? We can chair meetings. We can counsel families. We can teach Sunday school classes. We can visit the sick. We can sing in the choir. We can pastor a church yet without love for the Lord. Let's get first things First, be in it, brothers and sisters in Christ. Be in it because you love Jesus. After love, what comes next? Well, we see it in our text. Do you love me? Look at the text. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then do something. After we believe, we're not done. We have work to do. We often talk about faith going from the head to the heart, and that is true. But isn't there one more aspect? Doesn't it need to go from the heart to the hands? I'm reminded of, of Charlie Brown who's eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and, and Lucy's standing next to him. And as he eats, he notices his hands and becomes enamored with them. He holds them up and he starts looking at them and they muses, I like my hands. They are fascinating. They really are. I have nice hands. 
They have a lot of character. Do you realize that these two little hands may someday accomplish great things? These hands may someday do marvelous works. They, they may build mighty bridges. They may help the sick. They may hit home runs. They may write soul-stirring novels. And then Lucy jumps in and says, Charlie Brown, your hands have jelly on them. <laughs> she always has to bring them down to a dose of reality. You have jelly on them, Charlie. That's it. Kent Keith writes this. The biggest persons with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest persons, Lucy, with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. He goes on and he says, people really need help but may attack you if you do help them. Help them anyway. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. Heart to the hands. And when we do that, you know what's going to happen? Sheep will bite other sheep. Some shepherds hurt their sheep either inadvertently or knowingly. Some sheep will go off cliffs. Some will, will resist the food. Some will even accuse you of ulterior motives when you care for them. Do it anyway. Why? Because we love the Lord. Be in it because we love him. This was the key to Mother Teresa's life. Whenever she was wiping the wounds of someone who would not be in this world much longer, she acted as though she was wiping Jesus' wounds. When she scrubbed the floor, she was scrubbing Jesus' floor. We need to have a conscious awareness that we are serving because we love him. And Jesus looks you in the eye and he looks me in the eye and he says, do you love him? Do you love me? Jesus asked, do you love me? What comes next? Feed the sheep. We love Christ by feeding and caring for the sheep, for one another. And as your pastor, it is clear that this does speak directly to me this morning that I am to feed and I am to care for the sheep. And I will not do that perfectly, but I am certainly committed to doing it as best as I can under the, by God's grace and power. But are these words just for pastors and paid staff? A little girl stayed for dinner at her friend's. And the vegetable, that, that meal was buttered broccoli. And the mother asked if she liked it. And the girl replied very politely, oh yes, I love broccoli. But when broccoli was passed to her, she declined to take any. And the mother asked, wait a minute, I thought you said you love broccoli. And the girl replied, oh yes, ma'am, I do, but not enough to eat it. <laughs> Listen. We may be quick to say we love, but not enough to really love. You want me to do what? Can we legitimately say, come on, let's put this aside once and for all. I have said it, you probably said it. Can we legitimately say, I love Jesus, I just can't stand the sheep? Come on, we can't say that anymore. Never could say it. Anyone can love the ideal church. The challenge is to love the real church. Can we honestly build a case, biblically, for professing our love for him yet not giving out? Our personal love relationship with Jesus has to go beyond taking in. Do you love the Lord? What's next? 
According to legend, one guy was granted a tour to heaven, and he noticed there a long table with seated guests, each of whom had a three-foot fork strapped to his wrist. The table was laden with delectable banquets. Not surprisingly, all of the guests ate well and looked satisfied. On his return to earth, he passed through hell, in which he observed a banquet hall arranged with the exact same setting. Only here, the guests were weeping and had emaciated bodies while a full menu sat before them. Perplexed by this, the visitor asked his attendant to explain the difference. And the attendant replied, The long forks have made it impossible for our guests in hell to feed themselves, yet they try nonetheless. But in heaven, each guest has learned to feed his friend across the table, who in turn is feeding him. Get that? Christian, do you love me? Jesus asks. Yes, we reply. Then feed my sheep. Christian, do you love me? Yes, of course I do, we answer again. Then care for each other. Christian, do you love me? Yes, Lord, why must you ask me three times? What comes next? After love for Jesus, what comes next? Let's pray. Lord, I hope the people here know that I need to hear this as much as they do. There are times I think I need to hear it more. Not because of my position, but because I can justify so many things and I can be so self-centered and pick and choose the ones I'm going to love. That's nonsense. Help me to know, help us to know what it looks like to say that we love you and then feeding each other, caring for each other. And yes, if there's that fallen one on the track and we run from the stance and help them to lean on our shoulders so we can cross the finish line together. Lord, make the application. May we stew on this some more. May we ponder it some more. But may we not just be hearers of your word only, but doers. For your sake and your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.